right. Well, good morning again. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Here, little echoes on that. Um, I have very, very good news um, this morning. Um, Halloween Horror Nights is over at Universal. <laughs> I got to tell you, I have sermon material that's going to last me the next 10 years. <laughs> There's just was some crazy stuff. But it, it's over, and, and my life has just gotten a little bit less stressful than that. But, man, hey, I'm glad you're here um, this morning. I'm really excited that we're, we're diving back in. I really enjoyed our last series as we went in and talked about, you know, asking those questions, what on earth am I here for? And I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got to be a part of a small group, home groups. By the way, those aren't over just because that's over. They are continuing on, and I'm going to give them a chance at the end of service to talk about what they're doing next. Um, we're tweaking some things and everything. As you notice this morning, we're tweaking a little bit. We're changing some stuff up. Um, we're looking at some different ideas of just keeping you on your toes. That's been apparently keeping me on my toes, too, because I was back there going, oh, no, they're only doing two songs. <laughs> so um, so we'll all get used to it, and we'll all have fun together. But this morning, hey, I just I want to talk as we are continuing this never-ending story, Acts. And, and I remind you, because we haven't talked for a while about Acts, Acts is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have an ending. Do you know that? Everything else has some kind of epilogue or something, just like, okay, I'm blessed to you and everything. Acts is the only book that doesn't end in the Bible, and that's because that it's not over yet. Um, Acts is about the church and about us as continuing to grow and move, and we're not done yet, and so Acts isn't over yet. And so it is kind of this never-ending story. And so this morning, we're going to dive back into where we were in Acts 17. If you have your Bibles... Um, you can um, turn to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have one, we have brand new ones. We just got in. They're all around here. Grab one. If you don't own one or you lost yours, grab one of ours. Put your name in and keep it. Um, I put up there so I don't have to keep saying it. We have Wi-Fi here. So if you want to lose your electronic devices, it's just GBC Guest and the password's find more. Um, but you can um, log in with that and follow along with us there. Um, but as forever and for always, and I'm never going to stop saying it again, these are the only words that matter. They really, really are. Wow, this is just a really unbalanced group today. <laughs> I didn't notice that. What did you guys do? <laughs> Everyone's on this side. So they must think I preach this way. So yeah, that's it. All right. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. Distracted. <laughs> As always, these are the only words that matter. It really doesn't matter what, what I say, what some theologian said in the past and all that stuff. It's good stuff. But these are the only words that change lives. You know, I, I love that Jesus said that, you know, heaven and earth, all of this is going to go away, but my word's going to remain. And, and so if you don't hear anything else, my prayer is that you hear these words, and they're the ones that penetrate the heart this morning. So out of respect for that and acknowledgement of the authority of those, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me. In Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 22, <coughs> Luke writes this. He says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. For one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. 
He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an an image fashioned by human art and imaginations. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. I I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. God, I thank you um, that you were here waiting for us. Um, We don't have to ask you. We don't have to beg you to come join us. God, you were here waiting for us. God, there are so many distractions in our world today. God, there are so many voices screaming and hollering, trying to gain our attention. God, I pray that right now you would quiet our hearts. God, that you would clear our minds. That you would hush all the other noise, God, and that you would just speak clearly. God, that these would be your words, not mine. And that, God, you would give us, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to this. God, that we would be different because we're here. We would be changed. So, God, we just ask that you have your way. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And may you just do whatever you need to do this morning and get all the glory for it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Out of all the passages in Acts and everything, and, and I love the book of Acts, and I, I love all the scripture. This is one of my favorite passages, and, and it's one of my favorite because I think it is so relevant today. You know, so often people are like, well, the Bible, it's old-fashioned, it's all this, and, you know, it really doesn't make sense today. But, but the truth is, is this is so relevant today because I don't know if you notice that our culture is repeating itself. There's never anything new. We always think like, oh, there's a new thought or there's this new idea, this new, really, even Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun because there isn't. It's just we kind of repeat and repeat. In fact, you know, what, what's the old saying? You know, if you forget history, we're doomed to repeat it. Gosh, we forget history an awful lot because we just keep repeating it over and, and over again. And I think the same thing is happening in culture today that was happening then. And that's what makes me so excited to be a pastor. That makes me so excited to be part of a church and stuff today. Because I think today, in this time frame, is one of the greatest opportunities that the church has had in, in, since the beginning, since the time of Acts. And, and so I'm really, really excited. And so I want to back up a little bit and give you a little bit of what, what's going on um, in, in Acts. If you back up to verse 16, right before this, Paul was in Thessalonica. There was a riot in the city. He was chased out of the city and all kinds of stuff. And so he's kind of in Athens all by himself. And he's there. And look at verse 16. He says, and while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And so here's Paul. He's just kind of waiting out in Athens, and he starts looking around, and he sees what's going on. And Athens, in its glory days, was the center of, like, thought. It was the center of religion. It was the center of education and, and art and, and everything. And by this time, Athens is kind of still in decline, but, but there's still all that. And, and Paul's looking around, and all he sees is idols and statues and temples everywhere. And it breaks his heart. Can I ask you, when's the last time you walked around your neighborhood? If you're a follower of Christ today, 
If you claim to be a disciple, when's the last time you walked around your neighborhood or walked around the town or just drove around and it broke your heart? Because you see the lostness, you see the darkness, you see all that's going on. I feel like we, we get kind of just numb to it after a while. We, we, we see it on the TV. We see it on the news. We see it everywhere all around us and how culture is going and stuff. And we just like, well, that's just the way it's going to be. And we just kind of get numb to it. And I love that Paul, even though all the stuff he's going through, he stops, he looks, and he sees, and it still it troubles his heart. I think one of the problems with the church is right now is that our hearts aren't that troubled anymore. I, I think we have an issue because there, there are things happening that we look and see, and it should bother us. Not get us mad, not pick it, but it should break our hearts because I promise you it's breaking God's heart. He, he goes on here. He says, um, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be preaching a of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him, brought him to the Arapacus, and said, May we learn about the new teaching you are presenting? Because what you say sounds strange to us, and, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Wow, does that sound familiar at all? It seems like in our culture that everyone's looking for the latest trend, doesn't it? What, what's the newest thought process? What's the newest thing? And, and, and what, whatever, what's the most popular thing? What's the most politically correct thing? And, and that's the way we're going to lean, and that's the way we're going to go. Heaven forbid we ever, ever just kind of hurt someone's feelings or we offend someone. I, I say if you go, to li- go through life without offending someone or being offended, we need to talk because I don't think you have a pulse because I don't think it's possible. We are all different. We're all from different places. We all have different backgrounds. We're, we're going to offend and everything, but we're so worried about offending one another that we've taken the gospel and we've kind of like sugarcoated it and, have, and made it like this happy place. And it doesn't work that way. i got to tell you something. Jesus Christ was one of the most offensive people to walk this planet. But he did it in such a way that no one really sat there and said, whoa, except the Pharisees who crucified him. He called sin, sin. But he did it in love. He never bent on the truth. And the problem is, is we live in a culture today that's trying to justify the way they live. I heard a comedian this past week. I was just driving and flipping through my radio. I heard a comedian, and it's like, oh, man, we need to update the Bible because it's, it's got all that old stuff in there, and you know, it just doesn't matter anymore. And I just sat there and said, oh, my gosh, that is our world today. If I don't like what you're saying, if I don't agree with what you're saying, then you're wrong. And we don't talk about the things we don't like. I grew up in a southern home, a very deep southern home, and any of you that grew up in a deep southern home, you know we don't talk about family business with anybody other than family. We keep those skeletons in the closet. (laughs) Well, that is trending culturally now because there are issues we are facing. There are things that we are dealing with, and there are things that we're going to stand up against that I'm I'm afraid there's coming a day where I'm going to get sued because I'm going to consider hate speech just because we don't agree. And that's what's happening here. They're just trying to defend themselves. And I love that they look down on him, says, what's, what's this ignorant show-off trying to say? Because isn't that what they look at? You believe in the Bible? You believe in creation? Oh, you're an idiot. 
Just watch any TV show. They make us, the entire view of the world of what the church and followers of Christ is, is we're just all backwoods, ignorant people that refuse to change anything and are closed-minded and bigots and hypocrites. When we are the most inclusive group on this planet, because the call of Christ is for everyone. And so this is what Paul is taking in, and this is what we're living in right now. So how do we deal with that? How do we engage culture in such a way that we're not going to bend, we're not going to take a step back from the truth that God has laid out, but we still engage with love? And it, it starts with love. We have to be ready. That's what First Peter was talking about. He says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You and I carry hope. And we live in a world in desperate need of hope. They're looking everywhere else, and they're not finding it. They're going to look for an election this next week and hopefully find hope there. And I believe God appoints leaders, and he takes care of all that stuff. And listen, if you're not going to vote, I don't ever want you to hear, I don't want to ever hear you complain about stuff. I will never tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you to pray about it. Choose, go along to your beliefs, and then go and vote. But if you don't vote, shut up. Seriously. Because there are so many places in this planet that wish they could vote. So please go vote. But we put our hope there. We put our hope in, in political leaders or we put our hope in some new scientific breakthrough or we put our hope there and everyone's looking hope and it's being dashed everywhere. You and I carry a hope that's eternal, that's lasting, that outlasts any problem that we face. And people are going to see that and we have to be ready to answer that. Listen, just a little side note, if no one's asking you about the hope that's in your heart and the, that you're living out, can I just put to you for just a moment that maybe you're not showing any? Listen, I stand as a security officer five days out of the week in Universal Studios and see all kinds of people. And I, last week, this was the craziest week. We had a Marilyn Manson concert Wednesday night. We arrested five people. We should have arrested eight or ten. We sent four to the hospital. We had all kinds of people. I was running everywhere that night, and, and I just, every time I go into work, I'm just like, God, just your peace to fall on me. Just let me be a person of peace. And I had like nine different security people and other staff like, how are you staying calm? What, how are you dealing with this? I said, because I have hope. I have something bigger than this. Let me tell you, are people asking you why you have hope? Because if not, maybe it's not showing. And it should. Because there's nothing bigger than our God. There's nothing bigger than our faith. There's nothing that can change it or take us out of his hand. It doesn't matter. So, so how do we deal with this? How do we, <coughs> how do we engage? And I love how Paul starts this. Paul starts this with the greatness of God. Look at verse 24. You know, Paul's in the middle. He says, behold, Athens, I see that you're a religious people. By the way, we are still a very religious people. Every person on this planet has a God they worship. It may be themselves, it may be science, it may be money, but everybody has something that they're worshiping. We're created to worship, we automatically worship. We are all religious people. And Paul sees this, and he sees, well, there's an unknown God. Here, let me, let me explain to you what you're really worshiping or what you should be worshiping. Look at verse 24. He talks about the greatness of God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. 
does not live in shrines made by hands. The very first thing is we need to understand that our God is bigger than everything else. And we need to live that way. We need to have a faith that way. It needs to show that our God's bigger. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what laws are passed or what, what, what cases are, are, are for us or against us. It doesn't matter what the economy says. Our God is bigger than that. And Paul is saying out of all this stuff that you see, all these idols and everything else you're putting your trust in, there's something greater, and he is God, and he made all of this. This is why we spent weeks and weeks and weeks a year ago just talking about apologetics and talking about why I believe in creation. Why I take the Bible at face value because I think if I take those first couple of chapters of Genesis and say, well, they're just, they're just kind of story and, and analogy and they're, they're not really real, then it's very easy for me to step over here and say, well, then maybe Jesus didn't really do everything he said he did. It's so important that we have a basis and we understand how great God is. Do you know how great God is? Do you know how big he is, how much he loves you, how holy he is, and how just he is? You want to talk about social justice? God is the creator and sustainer and the maintainer of social justice. No one cares more about social justice than God. We, we have so many now that that's all they do. It's like, let's just feed people. Let's feed people. But if we're not sharing the gospel, if they're not experiencing the greatness of God, all they're doing is getting full, but they're still lost. We need to understand the greatness of God. It answers that question. Where am I from? Where am I going? That is the question that every person on this planet ponders at some time. That's why we just spent weeks just going through what are the purposes of our life? What are the things that why did God make us? Why am I here? Because God made everything. Do you understand that? Do you understand that when God created everything, he made it all, and he says, this is good, and when he made you and me, he stopped and says, now it's very good. Do you understand that no one else has your fingerprints, that God literally knows the hairs on your head? For some of us, it's an easier count than others. <laughs> God knows all of it because of his greatness. And we need to live like he's a great God. Not afraid. Not blaming. But our God is great. He has made everything. And we can answer that question. Where are you from? A God that made you. Next we need to look at. Paul goes into the goodness of God. God is our provider. God is the one that provides for everything that we need. Look at verse 25. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Everyone, take a deep breath. Exhale. Now, thank God, because he's the only one that allowed you to do that. You understand the very breath that we breathe is a gift of God. He provides every single thing that we need. Our problem is, is we want God to provide every single thing that we want. <laughs> and there is a big difference. It's not about getting everything you want, but God promises he'll give you everything you need. And if you need to live in a small house and, ha and, and struggle financially, then God says, this is what you need. Trust me. I am the provider of everything. Don't you love that? Look at this. He says, this is the God. Neither is he served by human hands. You understand that we bring nothing to the table when we come to God. There's nothing that we offer him that he looks at and says, oh, wow, great. I want, always wanted one of those. <laughs> Never. 
He doesn't need us. I, I say that over and over again. I tell, I remind our praise team and everything. God doesn't need me to preach. He doesn't need us to sing. He doesn't even need us to go to church. He doesn't need anything from us. And I love that there's people that actually believe that God's existence is based on that I believe in him. Whether I believe or not, God exists. He is real. He is sovereign. He is in control. That's why I love my atheist friends. I don't believe in God. I'm like, that's cool. So if I don't believe in you, you don't exist anymore? <laughs> oh, no. I said, it's the same thing with God. He doesn't need us, but he's the one that gives us everything. The cool breeze we felt, the rain we got the other day, that is from God. Everything. Everything. Think about that. We don't even breathe unless God. I mean, just think about it. If God forgot about us for an instant, we would cease to exist. He is the creator, the sustainer, the maintainer, everything. A world that is looking for hope everywhere else needs to know that there's a place where it will never let them down. Because I promise you, every place else you look is going to let you down. I've told you this before. If you look to me as pastor and say, okay, pastor, you're always going to be right. You're going to be good. You're going to be on. I'm going to let you down. I've let my kids down. I've let my wife down. I will let you down if I haven't already. But there is one place that will never let us down, and that is God. He is the source of every resource. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or anybody else does. God is the source, and it is his goodness that the world needs to see in us. Not only that, we need to understand the government of God. That God is the ruler. Not me, not you, not who's in office or who's in control somewhere else. God is the ruler. Look at verse 26. It says, from one man, he has made every nationality live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where of where they live. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human heart and imagination. I love this, that he has made every nationality. Listen, I'm not naive to think that racism and all that stuff doesn't exist in, in our world. I just think it's stupid. Because I don't think there are any other races except one, the human race. It is God that made everyone from one man, from one woman, all nationalities and everything. It is God that has appointed where they should live. It is God that's appointed the rulers of the nations. Listen, if you are so, if you are terrified about this week's election, don't be. Go and vote, vote your conscience, vote your convictions, and then trust God. Because I promise you, no one gets appointed to a place of leadership in this world if God doesn't allow it. He is sovereign. He is in charge. No one else. We think we're in charge. <laughs> That's how I feel at my house a lot of times. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the father and husband and, and son-in-law, all women. And so like my dad said, he looked at me and said, son, you are the head of the house, but that woman is the neck that turns the head. <laughs> you may think you're in charge. 
You're not. I'm not. I'm not in charge of this church. I'm in charge. I'm, I'm, I'm called to lead this church to equip the people church. But the head of this church is Jesus, not me. He's the chief shepherd. The head of this planet is God. He's in control of it all. And so, yes, I'm going to go vote and I'm going to speak out against injustice. I'm going to speak out against moral failure and, and all these other things. And these things that I say go directly against scripture. And that means if I offend somebody, I offend somebody. I talked to my homosexual friends and said, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I know there's a God that loves you and has a plan. And I know that you may struggle with this the rest of your life. And that's okay. I'm, I'm heterosexual. I struggle in staying faithful with my wife because that's the way I am, because we were born for sinful nature. But there is a God that empowers us to overcome and live the way we're supposed to be. And if I can't say that and not say that without offending somebody... I don't care because this is what scripture says, because I know there's a God that's in charge. So it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what laws they pass, because I'm going to stand upon these words, because as I said in the beginning, all of this goes away. These words remain. I'm going to stand on the right that I believe abortion is murder. But I don't think we have the right to do that. I'm going to stand on that because I I know there's. A sovereign God that even in the worst circumstances, God brings good out of it. And I know those aren't politically correct things. I'm, I'm going to stand on, on, the, on the fact that we stand upon this word, that we give grace and love to everyone, but we also stand in holiness and justice. We, we have to because my God is sovereign. He's the one that's in charge. I don't take my cues from what's in popular culture. I take my cues from what's in here. And so should you. I remember I, I, years ago I worked at Disney, and Disney was one of the first places to give full benefits to homosexuals and everything, and I, I'm like, I'm okay with that. They deserve to have Medicare. They deserve to have all these benefits and all this everything. But I remember one guy came up to me. He's like, oh, you're a preacher, so I'm going to hell because I'm gay. I'm like, no, you go to hell because you don't know Jesus. That's it. And all of a sudden, three other of my friends came up behind me and says, I'm gay, and he likes me, and I like him. Leave him alone. Stop it. You know what happens when we go out in love and we speak truth, but we do it and we stand upon the sovereignty of God and trust him? Is we shut up all the foes. People are going to come against you if you stand upon these words. But understand there's a God that's bigger than those people. There's a God that's bigger than the ideologies because he's in charge. He's the one that points people. He's the one that places people. And by the way, God is still actively involved in all of this. I, I think for so many of us, sometimes we feel like God is distant. I, I love that Paul says this. He says, you know, he does all this so that we'll seek him. In verse 27, he did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. Do you understand that God is only probably a turn away? I love those people. It's like, man, I'm just, I'm trying to find God. And I'm like, then stop looking and just turn around. <laughs> so many of, so many people, it's like, I'm trying to find truth. I'm trying to find purpose. I'm trying to find meaning. I'm trying to find hope. And I just want to grab him and say, then stop, stop looking. He's right there. He's right in front of you. You know, it's the lost car key syndrome. You ever had that? Or the lost glasses? Have you ever done this? Honey, I can't find my glasses anywhere. Where's my glasses? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> or 
Why'd you put him there? No, just now. He's right there. I'm just saying, guys, if we slow down enough, if we understand how great God is, how good he is, how awesome and how holy he is, if we just stop long enough, he's right there for the world to see. And then finally, I love Paul talks, the grace of God. It's my favorite part. The grace of God. Acts in 17, verse 30. Look at this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear, <coughs> we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Arapagate, a woman named Damaris, and others with him. The, the truth is, is that God, I love that he says, God, having overlooked the times of ignorance. Do you understand that at the moment we fell, the moment we looked at God and said, God, I'd rather do it my way than your way, he could have said, fine, you're done. When the world got so bad, that he couldn't find any righteous people except one person. He found no one. He says, okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to start over, and we're going to start with you. And then they just followed suit again, same bad stuff. That All that stuff that none of us deserve the grace of God. That's what grace is, by the way. Justice is when we get what we deserve. We justly deserve to be separated from God and never have any chance to join back home because we chose that. We're born that way. It comes into us. Anybody says, well, I'm a good person. I've never done anything wrong. Can I ask you something? Has anybody in this room never lied? Good, because I was about to say liar. (laughs) Can I ask you this? Who taught you how to lie? Man, I remember the day when my daughter, little precious, my oldest daughter, she's just a little girl there, and I heard a crash, and I came in like, honey, who spilled the milk? Did you spill all that milk everywhere? No, it's all over her. That was not a moment that says, yes, she learned to lie. Great. All that planning and training I did for her. She knows, no, it came naturally. You and I naturally are enemies of God, and yet in God's grace, instead of justice, he gives us grace. He says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come know me. I'm going I'm to give you an opportunity to realize that you need me. And he gives us this grace because he is our Savior. He's the only one. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want to talk about a non-politically correct statement to be said today? Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. The truth, the life. There is no other way. He's the only way. And I know that sounds harsh, that sounds hard, but I'm going to tell you something. There is no other religious leader that died for my sins and rose again. See, every other religious belief on this planet is about what, how good I can do, and my good outweighs my bad. Hopefully, in the end, the scales will, will match, and my good is hot, stronger than my bad, and so I, I get in. Only Christianity is the one that says, I'm really bad, but Christ was good enough. And that will always outweigh my bad. He is our Savior, and the world needs to know that. And it's not, it's that statement, I am the way, people are like, well, that's very exclusive. No, it's not. 
because I don't have to do anything special to get in. I don't have to go through a training class or, 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 or like give up and, and move somewhere to a different part of the world. I don't have to do anything. I just have to accept him. It's including for everyone. Everyone, that call is for every single person on this planet. Come to Jesus. Repent. Be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved, the Bible says. There's no one else. I don't have to do anything. That's why the Bible says you were saved by grace, not by works, lest any man boast. It's nothing that I do. I come to God and say, God, look at me. I'm filthy. I'm messy. I'm terrible. I have horrible thoughts. I've done horrible things. And God says, I accept you because of Jesus. (laughs) That's what they need to see. We need to stop teaching a behavioral gospel. For you to be a Christian, you've got to do this, you've got to wear this, you've got to say this, you've got to sing that, you've got you to be here, you've got to give that, you've got to do it, because none of that, all that stuff comes after the Holy Spirit enters. All that happens after we come and acknowledge, I need a Savior. That's what I love about the church. That's why it's so amazing that none of us are better than the other person. That's why my professor in Bible class always said, the foot of the cross is, is flat ground. No one stands higher. There's a common ground between every single one of us that are here this morning. We all need a Savior. And it's Jesus. And they need to hear that. And they need to see it. We we carry that. And I'm going to tell you, not everybody's going to buy in. That's why Paul wrote in Corinthians, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. It sounds crazy to everybody else. Listen, don't let that keep you from telling them. I've told you this before. I'm going to keep telling you. It is not up to you to save anybody. You can't do it. <laughs> Listen, unless you've got some scars on your wrist and in your feet, I put some I put a pool out here, you walk on the water, you do all that stuff, then we'll talk. <laughs> if you died for three days and you rose again, we'll talk. See, we don't save anybody. All we have to do is tell them this truth. God penetrates them. It's foolishness to them until God draws them and that spirit convicts them and changes the heart. We just get to be a part of the story. No pressure. If you just spend every day going around telling people Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, God can do that, and he can change an entire country and an entire world with that. All we have to do is open our mouths and tell people. He's the Savior. And if they look at you and say, well, you're an idiot, thank them very much, shake their hands and smile. I do this every day. That's universal. People come up to me. I'm standing in front of the bathroom, and they're like, where's the bathroom? (laughs) It's right back here. Have a good day. (laughs) They don't know any better. And listen, and stop worrying about how bad people are acting on this planet. If they don't know Jesus, they're acting the way they're supposed to anyway. At least they're being honest about it. I worked for Young Life for years in youth ministry, and, and one of my favorite places to be, Young Life did this. I don't always agree with it, but I just it was my favorite place. At Young Life, we'd bring teenagers to camp, and we'd have what we called the smoke pit because we figured, listen, 
if you got permission to smoke, we'd rather you smoke here than burn down one of our buildings. So here's the smoke pit. I hung out there all day long because I had a bunch of those kids who are like, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, man, I can't wait to get stoned when I get back and, and do <laughs> You know, I hung out there because they were honest. I led more kids to Christ around a smoke pit, some guy smoking on a Winston cigarette than, than anywhere else. Because they were honest. Listen, that's our world today. They're honest. That line between what a follower of Christ is and what a follower of Christ isn't is very, very clear now. For years it used to be, but I go to church. Congratulations. <laughs> Doesn't make you a Christian. My family were Christians. Generations of Christians. Congratulations. Doesn't make you a Christian. Let's be honest. That's why people, that's why we had this exodus from the church, because they realized they didn't have to be here to make contacts anymore. American church was the best place for a car salesman, insurance salesman, or doctor to pick up new, pe new, new people. That's where you made your contacts. In fact, you know, that's where, that was, that, that was the best place to date. You know, if you've got to find a girl that <coughs> mom appreciated, you went to church. <laughs> they weren't always good girls. They aren't always good boys. It's not like that anymore. That, that line is drawn, so they're going to think it's foolish. I, I would rather look like a fool than risk someone losing eternity. It's so funny at work right now, because they all know I'm a pastor. And what, what's nice at Universal is I'm, I'm Tony the pastor, not Pastor Tony. And it's a different thing. And they always watch me when the drunks come up. <laughs> because <laughs> they're like what's he going to do this time <laughs> what's he going to I got people coming up to me now like hey will you pray for us will you pray for us tonight and stuff I hear you pray for peace every night can I pray can you pray for this I got because they just they just know they think I'm crazy they're like why would you do that why would you be a pastor and do that that's just crazy you can't have any fun I'm like I'm having a blast I had a drunk lady come up to me Friday night just going like, hey, 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 act like you want my number. I says, you know, you just ask about this pastor if you wanted her number. And she's like, oh. <laughs> I had another guy ask me, like, where can I find some girls, man? I need to get some women. I want some girls. I'm like, you're asking a pastor about this pastor to hook you up. He, like, fell down and, like, knelt and said, pray for me right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it because they think it's crazy. Well, let me be crazy because there's a crazy love of a God that created everything. When I turn my back on him, that would say, while I was still a sinner, while I was still against him, that he would send his son to die for me. Can you tell me anything crazier than that? Let me be crazy. Let me be counted a fool. If it means somebody comes. You and I need to find our Athens. And can I tell you something? Our Athens is right outside that door. We need to find that place that breaks our heart. Maybe it's our neighborhood. Maybe it's our job. Maybe, But looking around and we see the lostness, the hopelessness. It's one thing to see it. It's a whole nother thing to do it. And I think I read this to you guys probably last week or a couple of weeks. It's one of my favorite passages. But look in Romans 10. 
Once you find that Athens, once you find that people, once your eyes get open and you see the heartbreak, you see the brokenness, you see the poverty, you see the widows, you see the orphans, you see all that. By the way, there shouldn't be any of those if the church was doing its job. There shouldn't be any orphans if we were doing our job. We have enough followers of Christ that claim to be Christ that there should be no orphans on this planet. If the church was doing its job, we wouldn't need Social Security, we wouldn't need Medicaid, we wouldn't do because we would take care of people. That was God's original plan. But we're not doing the job, but it's not too late. It's not too late for us to do the job. It's not too late for us to reach into communities and have our hearts broken for what breaks God. And when your heart breaks, don't just stand there and feel bad for yourselves. Open your mouths, because I love it. In Romans 10, verse 14, Paul writes this. He says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You bring good news. Start stepping. Open your mouths. You carry the hope of eternity in you. And we have a world that has no starting point anymore. Do you understand that? When, when Paul started, when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was always a starting point. Everyone kind of believed there's a God and, and he created everything. We live in a world just like Athens that there's no starting point anymore. They don't understand that there's a God out there. There are people in this country right now that's never heard the name Jesus. That's never looked at a Bible. They have no starting point. You and I can be the starting point if we open our mouths. If they will see Jesus in us, and then they will hear about him. You know, there's an old, old saying. Share the gospel always. If necessary, use words. It was, it was attributed to Francis Assisi. He never said that. It's, I, as I thought about that over the years, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How can I share the gospel without actually telling someone the gospel too? That's what Romans says. How will they hear if nobody tells them? We are in the middle of Athens once again. And there are statues everywhere to the unknown God. What an opportunity we have to walk in and say, let me tell you about this one. This is what he's done for me. Let me give you a name of that thing you're worshiping. I love it. C.S. Lewis says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Let me read that to you again. The church, church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. They're not doing that. All the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. We are in Athens, and it is exciting. What a great time to be a follower of Christ. I don't care about the persecution. I don't care about the all the other stuff. I'm saying what a what a great time to be a follower of Christ because you have a world that's looked everywhere else and they have come up empty. We carry the hope. We are in a never-ending story. The only way the story ends with you or with me is if we shut up and sit down. But this story is going to keep going 
it's going to keep going, it's going to keep going, it's going to keep going until God returns, when Christ returns and says, enough, we're going to set it all right, it's done. What a great opportunity to see God move. But we've got to have a heart that's breaking for the things that break God's heart, and we have to have the courage to say something. God is great, God is good. God is graceful. They won't know unless we show up and tell them. Let's pray.